This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Screen Guild Theater was a radio anthology series broadcast from 1939 until 1952 during the golden age of radio. Leading Hollywood stars performed adaptations of popular motion pictures, and when you take into account the program increasingly came to rely on adaptations of major motion pictures, it presented a considerable challenge to writers who had to compress the narrative into sometimes as little as 22 minutes. Now, I found an interesting story that Shirley Temple's parents declined an offer of $35,000 for her to perform a radio version of The Bluebird on a commercial broadcast. Instead, she presented it on the Screen Guild program without payment. And we're talking $35,000 way back when, you know, a lot of money. An attempt was made on her life during the show. As Temple was singing, Someday You'll Find Your Bluebird... A woman in the audience rose from her seat and pulled out a handgun, pointing it directly at her. The woman hesitated and was disarmed. It was later discovered that she had lost a child on the day it was publicly stated that Temple was born, and she blamed Shirley for stealing her daughter's soul. Here's the episode first broadcast in 1943, entitled The Devil and Miss Jones. <laughs> Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild Player tonight, The Devil and Miss Jones. The starring players... This is Lorraine Day. This is Charles Coburn. And this is George Murphy. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in that delightful RKO story about the richest man in the world, the devil and Miss Jones. Charles Coburn plays the richest man, J.P. Merrick. Lorraine Day plays Miss Jones. And George Murphy plays the boyfriend, Joe O'Brien. As the richest man in the world, J.P. Merrick had almost forgotten he owned the Neely department store until the day the store's unhappy employees hung him in effigy. The next day, the store had a new employee. The personnel manager's confidential files described the new employee as Thomas Higgins, a private detective hired by the Merrick Enterprises. But when Higgins reached his home after his first day in the store, his butler greeted him with... 
evening, Mr. Merrick. Good evening, George. Did any one of the store suspect whom you are, Mr. Merrick? No one. The personnel manager thinks I'm a detective, and the rest of the employees regard me as an old pauper. Can you imagine that, George? Me, a pauper? Well, congratulations, sir. A boy or girl, sir. <laughs> Confound it, George. Will you stop listening to Abbott and Costello? Where was I? You'd just become a papa, sir. Uh-oh. Oh, yes. In fact, one of my new associates, a Miss Mary Jones, was so certain that I was impoverished, she forced me to share her lunch. We had tuna fish popovers. <gasps> tuna fish popovers? Yes, tuna fish popovers. And if I'm not sick tonight, or tomorrow at the latest, my fancy Dr. Schindler from Vienna wished that he was back in Vienna. Yes, sir. Uh, did, you, uh, uh, did you make any progress in uncovering the miscreants, sir? Well, I learned who hung that dummy of me outside the store. That's wonderful, sir. Who was it? A youngster named Joe Bryan. He was discharged and barred from the store a week ago. But he has accomplices there, or still working there. Uh, do you know who they are, sir? Well, some of them. Miss Jones, the girl who shared his lunch, his lunch with me, is the most active. I hope you had her discharged today, sir. Well, I didn't. There's nothing vicious about Miss Jones. She just lets her heart run away with her head. Unfortunately, she's in love with Joe O'Brien. Uh, perhaps you could persuade her to forget him, sir. Perhaps. At any rate, I'll try when we go to Coney Island tomorrow. You're going to Coney Island, sir? Yes. By getting friendly with them, I learn the names of every malcontent in the store. Besides, I haven't stood up on a roller coaster for years. Yes, sir. Should I lay out your bathing suit, sir? <laughs> no, it's a little shabby. I better rent one at Coney Island. The last time I wore mine, I noticed it had a hole in the knee. <laughs> the bathhouse locker, Mr. O'Brien? Yes, and for the fifth time, Pop, will you stop calling me Mr. O'Brien? The name is Joe. I'll call you Joe if you'll stop calling me Pop. My name is uh, Higgins, Thomas Higgins. Okay, Pop. You ready to go for a swim? No, thank you. I think I'll go over and talk with Miss Jones. Well, I'll walk over with you. Hey, Mary. Yes, Joe? I'm going for a swim. Well, remember, nobody's going to be watching you, so don't show off and swim way out. All right, baby. Save me something to eat. Be careful. Don't worry, Miss Jones. Nothing will happen to Joe. He's a pretty good swimmer. He's pretty good at everything. You couldn't be prejudiced? Mm, maybe. Isn't it possible you're reading virtues into him that don't exist? Don't you like Joe? Well, that depends upon how much you're in love with him. And I don't think you're any judge. He's a better one. Any outsider. Me, for instance. Look, there's a couple over there. He's biting her ear. Now she's biting his ear. <laughs> they think they were made for each other. I think they were, too. You think that if she hadn't met him, there wouldn't be someone else biting her ear now? <laughs> Do you think he wouldn't be at some other girl's ear, probably ten feet away? Maybe, but it doesn't prove anything. Scientists can write all the books they like about love being a trap of nature, but all the scientists are going to convince are other scientists, not women in love. I don't say Joe's the greatest thing that ever lived. And I'm certainly not the greatest girl in the world. It's just, well, two people look at each other and, and they see something way deep inside that no one else can. And that's it. They feel it, they feel it. Do you? <laughs> not in the way I see in movies or hear in songs. You know, the touch of your hand, you set me on fire. <laughs> I'm not the combustible type. 
But yet, if, if I knew I'd never see Joe again... Yes? I'd never even thought of what it would be like not to see him anymore. But if I thought I'd never see Joe again, I don't think I'd care if I lived or died. I see. But what about Joe's uh, radicalism? Joe isn't radical, Mr. Higgins. Not radical? What do you call his hanging that dummy of, uh, of J.P. Mary? Oh, he was just trying to draw attention to the way the employees were treated at the store. Why, J.P. Merrick probably doesn't even remember that he owns Neely's department store. He's the richest man in the world, you know. Really? Oh, you ought to see his house sometime. Have you been in his house? <laughs> no. But Joe's walked me past there. We thought we'd talk to Mr. Merrick, but somehow we always lost our nerve. Everybody says he's such a devil. I see. I think I'll go for a walk until it's time to eat. Maybe I can think of a way for us to get in to see Mr. Merrick. Well, don't you think you'd better get out of that bathing suit and into your clothes before you go wandering around? Well, there's plenty of time for that. Anyway, Joe has the key to the locker. Well, don't wander away and get lost in the crowd. Hmm. Think I'm a child? Get lost indeed. Sergeant, this man claims he was lost. Well, I am. <laughs> Said he couldn't find his bathhouse and he was trying to sell his valuable watch for a dollar <laughs> so he could call his chauffeur. <laughs> I thought that was suspicious, so I picked him up. Well, it's suspicious enough for me. I would advise you two simple guardians of law and order for the sake of your own future and security to be very careful of any decision you make against me. Will you say that again? Tom! Tom Higgins! Well, we've been looking everywhere for you. Joe's gone to the hospital. What happened to you? I got lost. Well, thank heaven you're in one piece. Thanks for finding him, officer. Oh, that's all right, miss. Well, you can call your chauffeur on this phone, Pop. Chauffeur? What chauffeur? Yes, what chauffeur? Well, the chauffeur you were trying to raise money to call. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Let me smell your breath. I never touch a drop. Oh, a cork sniffer, huh? <laughs> Oh, you must be mistaking him for someone else. He's very poor. Say, what do you two do for a living? We work, of course. Where? Don't mention the store, Tom. We'd get fired. Where do you work? Why, uh, uh at the automat. What do you do? Well, I'm in charge of blueberry pies. Uh, I put them in the little boxes. And what do you do, young woman? Why, I help him. I snap the boxes shut. Say, my feet hurt. Can't we be seated while this continues? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Sergeant. How would you like it if someone treated your father like this? Is he your father? Yes. Gilly, I catch you in more lies. If he's your father, why did you call him Tom when you came in? Why, I always call him Tom. Come here. I'm going to ask you a question and you whisper the answer or I'll throw you both in jail. Where were you born? Whisper. 125th Street. Okay. Now, if this woman's your daughter, Pop, tell me, what street was she born on? 72nd Street. <laughs> well, for such close relations, your stories are a long distance apart. Your daughter said she was born on 125th Street, and you, her father, claimed she was born on 72nd Street. Well, well, we, we were living on 72nd Street, but she was actually born on 125th Street. And why was she born on 125th Street? There's no hospital there. Well, I didn't say there was. Her, uh, her mother was standing in line at a butcher shop. <laughs> you know, uh, rationing. Say, what are you trying to give me? 
There was no meat rationing 21 years ago. Oh, well, our mother was ahead of her time. <laughs> all right, all right, that does it. You're the two who's been selling hot goods around here, all right. Mary. Joe. I'm warning you, girlie. Anything you may say may be used against you. What's happened? You go on home, Joe. Tom and I'll meet you there later. Quiet, you. How about using a more civil tone, officer? Oh, me? Yes, you. Have they charged you with any crime, Tom? No. Well, then you don't have to stay here. Come on, go on out. You stay right here. You've got no right to keep anyone here without a charge preferred against them. Well, I can fix that. We'll hold them for violating the city ordinance, forbidding the wearing of bathing suits on the boardwalk. How do you like that for a charge? Why, you couldn't hold it for ten minutes on a charge like that. Oh, would you like to see another charge? I doubt if you've got brains enough to think one up. Joe, keep quiet. Now, don't worry, Mr. Higgins. He can't shut me up with threats. Oh, no? Officer, did this man come along peaceful or did he pull back? Well, he made quite a protest, sir. Oh, he did, huh? Okay, resisting an officer. Now, would you like to see another charge, Sonny? Yes, I'd like it fine. You'd like it fine. Trespassing. Suits me. Soliciting fun. Keep on. Peddling without a license. Oh, you're not frightening me. Stop. He's frightening me. <laughs> and we're throwing a little case of vagrancy. Now, how does that suit you? Just dandy. A vagrant? Me? Oh, I haven't even started on you yet. Joe, Joe, what do you think you're accomplishing? I'm giving him enough rope to hang himself. You're giving me enough rope? Joe, you're an idiot. You're talking me into jail for the rest of your life. Who do you think this man is? A servant of the people, that's all And a darn poor one He works for me, I don't work for him How do you like that? Let him put me in jail He's not putting you in jail It's me, you fool All right, let him put us both in jail I'll holler my head off This is a free country, you know Say, are you crazy? Who isn't? This just happens to be my own kind of patriotism And you can't scare me with your small-time Gestapo I don't care how small the right is When you try to take it away, I'll fight for it The Boston Tea Party was started over one penny this is big enough for me. Now go ahead. Put me in jail. Don't tell me what to do. I'm running this place. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Well, don't look so startled, Sergeant. In case you don't recognize it, that's the beginning of our Constitution. I'll recite it for you. That'll make me look even more ridiculous. And at the same time, you might get to understand it. Where was I now? Uh, oh, yes. Ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and secure the blessings of liberty. That's the way Joe is, Tom. If he thinks he's right, he won't give in to anybody. He's wonderful, isn't he? He isn't very practical. No, he isn't, but he's wonderful. You know, Sergeant, I don't like this. Yeah, me either. When they start reciting the Constitution, look out. Ah, oh, what can one fellow like him do? Oh, it's not him. It gets in the papers. Those civil liberties fellows send a big lawyer down, and what happens in court looks like a murder trial. But a little thing like that? Oh, the way they mix it up. Winds up like Abraham Lincoln's trial. Lincoln? Uh, the last trial took two weeks. Two weeks? My vacation starts Wednesday. You spent it listening to Abraham Lincoln in a nice hot courtroom? Oh, my wife would skin me alive. Hey, you, quiet, quiet! I'm going to suspend charges on all of you. Now, get out of here. Oh, no, just a minute. You're not going to get off that easy. <laughs> I'm not going to get off. We don't want any suspended charges hanging over our heads. We want the charges dropped, and we want an apology. All right, all right, all right. They're dropped. And I apologize. Now, get out. Thank you. And this for you, officer. Who, me? Yes, you. The next time you bring in a thing like that, I'll throw you right in the ocean. But Sergeant, you know I can't swim. That's what I mean. As far as I'm concerned, you sink. Just, just a minute, Sergeant. Just a minute. You can't talk to an officer of the law in that manner. Oh, I can't, can't I? 
Get out of here, you busybody. Oh, no, I won't move a step until you apologize to that officer. Then make arrangements to have your meals brought in because I'll never apologize to him. Oh, you won't, huh? No. All right, you ask for it. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more no, perfect no, stop union... No, no, stop it, stop it, stop it. I give up. Officer, officer, I apologize. Well, that's better. Come on, Mary, I'll take Tom over and get him dressed. It's time we got started home. It sounds as though you had quite an exciting day at Coney Island, Mr. Merrick. Yes, George. That fool sergeant almost exposed me when he offered me the phone to call for the chauffeur. But the others, Miss Jones and O'Brien didn't catch on. No. They were too excited about my being arrested. In fact, Joe O'Brien didn't even notice when he dropped this paper. What is it, sir? An important paper? Very important, George. It's a list of 400 names. The names of all the employees who participated in hanging that dummy of me outside the store. So ends Act One of The Devil and Miss Joan. And now the curtain rises on Act Two of The Devil and Miss Jones, starring Charles Coburn as J.P. Merrick, Lorraine Day as Mary Jones, and George Murphy as Joe O'Brien. J.P. Merrick is telling his butler about coming into possession of the list of 400 employees who participated in hanging him in effigy. In another section of town, Mary Jones and Joe O'Brien are having a serious discussion. Now that the Neely Department Store has blacklisted me, Mary, I can't get a job in New York, so I just can't see anymore for a while. What do you mean? Well, I mean I can't take up your time anymore. Is that what you call our relationship, Joe? Taking up my time? Well, I haven't any right to take up your time when I can't get a job. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But you might ask my opinion about that, Joe. What are your plans? You want to go out of town? I'll go with you. That's not such a terrible thing to ask me. Oh, Mary... If you want me to go with you, I'd like to go. I'd like to marry you. Even the way things are, I'm not afraid. You're not afraid? How long do you think you'd be in love with, with me living off your salary? Oh, that's nothing to be ashamed of, Joe, if you can't help it. Oh, not to you, but it is to me. You gave me a $5 wallet for my birthday and left the sales slip in so I could exchange it for the money. Next step, you'll be giving me the money, a quarter at a time. I can't be in love under those conditions. Well, then you're nothing but a coward, Joe, for all your bravery in police stations. You can't even face life, afraid to get married because you might not be able to get a job. It's not me I'm worrying about. I'm not going to be locked in a hall bedroom watching you iron my shirts, and nobody's going to make me. Nobody's going to make you do anything except go home. Go on, unless you're afraid of the dark. Hello? Mary. Yes? Where can I find Joe O'Brien? He's right here, just a second. It's for you, Joe. Hello? Uh, this is Sam Johnson, Joe. Hey, look, we're in real trouble. What do you mean? Who, who's in what trouble? All of us. Thomas Higgins isn't what he, what you think he is. He's a detective working for J.P. Merrick. What? Yes. How do you know? I was going through the personnel files tonight and saw the notation on his card. He's been to the meetings. Why, he'll have us all fired. Now, wait a minute. He has to have some kind of proof. He can't just accuse... Oh, my gosh. 
Trump, Joe. Oh, oh, I just remembered. This afternoon, I dropped the list of names of everybody connected with our organization. And Thomas Higgins picked it up. What are we going to do? Now, look, you sit tight. I'll come down to the store tomorrow and get that list away from Higgins if I have to knock him in the head. But you can't even get in the store, Joe. Every doorman has orders to throw you out. Don't worry about me. I'll get in there if I have to disguise myself as Santa Claus and slide down the chimney. Good morning, Miss Jones. Good morning, Mr. Higgins. That was quite a nice outing we had yesterday, wasn't it? I'm glad you enjoyed it. I learned a lot of things about your Joe O'Brien that I'd never have expected. Joe learned a lot of things about Thomas Higgins that none of us suspected. Mm, what do you mean? I'll let Joe tell you. Are, uh, are you Thomas Higgins? Yes. You're one of them in the general manager's office. What does you the general too, manager Jones? want with me? He wants to fire you. Fire me? What for? Well, it's been reported that you're a friend of Joe O'Brien's and Miss Jones. And he's going to fire me for that? Oh, you have nothing to worry about, Mr. Higgins. You can always save your own skin by turning in that list of names Joe dropped. What? You heard me, you you Benedict Arnold in sheep's clothing. Is that so? I'll show you who's Benedict Arnold in sheep's clothing. I'll show that general manager something, too. You were going to show me something, were you, you rambunctious old billy goat? Why, I'll have you blacklisted and starved to death. Are you the general manager of this store? I am. Well, I don't know how you ever got the job. It happened that I was the cream of department store managers. Well, don't forget, yesterday's cream is tomorrow's cheese. (laughs) I certainly don't get it. Well, you will, you sourpuss. Sourpuss? Yes, I've seen happier faces on iodine bottles. Why take out your ingrown disposition on these employees? Can't you understand that dealing with them the way you do, you've brought on this civil war around here? That's why they're your enemies. Enemies? I haven't an enemy in the store. Then all your friends hate you. (laughs) I've worked with these people. They've got rights. Yes, and uh, just what would you suggest? I suggest that you get a different job if you can't get the confidence of your employees, you bumble-witted idiot. Say, Pop, you're all right. Don't you worry about anything, Joe. I can handle this nincompoop. Well, I'd I'd like nothing better than to get the confidence of my employees. Oh, that goes right in one nostril and out the other. (laughs) Who can I talk to? Who represents enough of these people to mean anything? Would you consider 400 employees enough, Mr. Allison? Yes, I would. Well, there's our representative, Joe O'Brien. Oh, but how do I know he represents 400 employees? Uh, Where are the 400 names? That's the catch, Mary. You see, he wants the list of names. Well, without the names, I can do nothing. This isn't a trick, is it? Don't be foolish, Mary. Don't trust him. Well, if there's a right way, Joe, this is it. We're not being fair in asking for trust only on one side. Well, I'm against giving him the names. He works for J.P. Merrick. That doesn't prove anything, Joe. Yes, it does, Pop. He has to be crooked or he wouldn't be working for that crook. Uh, Just a minute, young man. Who said J.P. Merrick was a crook? Who didn't? Will you keep quiet? I can't hear myself think. Well, you aren't missing a single thing. (laughs) Mr. Higgins, have you the list you picked up when Joe dropped it last night? Yes, I have. Well, give it to Mr. Allison, please. All right. Allison, it's going to be terrible if you fool these two young people. Give it to him, Tom. Very well. It's yours, Allison. Mm, Thank you. Now, you superannuated old jerk, how dare you come into my office and talk to me like you did? 
I can outwit morons like you every day on the week and twice on Sundays. That's why I'm sitting behind this desk and you're standing in front of it. I'm going to see that every name on this list... Miss Jones, give me back that list. Tom, take half this list and eat it. What do you go, Oh, God, you hurry and eat your hat before he gets some of those store detectives in here and takes it away hey, from me. Arlen! Hurry! Yes, Mr. Allison. Come in here, quick! Too late. Now, you simpleton, I'll show you who can outwit who. Who are you going to fire now? You tell me the names of everyone on that list or I'll fire the whole fifth floor for a starter. Why, that's not fair. Many of the people on the fifth floor have nothing to do with tell it. Tell me every name or out they all go. Every one of them. Chambers, discard slip for everyone on the fifth floor. You can't do that to oh, us. Oh, can't I? Wait till you get your slip and see. All right, you do, and we'll take our case to J.P. Merrick himself. Oh, oh, oh you will. Uh, why, you old idiot. J.P. Merrick could have you thrown out of his house before you could open your mouth. I don't think so. Well, I'm telling you. Just how well do you know Mr. Merrick? He's a very close friend of mine. That's interesting. <laughs> what did you say your name was? Allison? I'll make a point of asking Mr. Merrick just how well he knows you. I wouldn't do anything rash if I were you, Higgins. I don't intend to. You ought to drop your idea of seeing Mr. Merrick. Oh, it wasn't my idea. Joe Bryan and Miss Jones had the idea long ago, but they didn't follow through. <laughs> that was very fortunate. Yes, fortunate for you and the rest of the petty dictators around here. This time, they're going to see J.P. And just what will that accomplish? Well, of course, I'm not positive. But if I were you, I'd start reading the help-wanted mail. Come on, Joe and Mary. Then am I to understand, Mr. Merrick, that Miss Jones and Mr. O'Brien still think you're Thomas Higgins? That's right, George. When I left them in the hallway, I told them that I was going to find Mr. Merrick and see if he would talk to them. Yes, sir. Well, open the door and tell them he'll talk. Very well, sir. See you now. Thanks. Gosh, Tom, you must know Merrick pretty well to bust right in like this. I probably know him better than anyone in the world. Has he talked with the general manager yet? Yes. Oh, well, I don't suppose he'll pay any attention to what we have to say then. That's not fair, Mary. If he'll take time to see us, he'll at least listen to what we have to say. He's probably seeing us just because he's a friend of Mr. Higgins. As a matter of fact, he's very fond of both of you. Huh? Well, wh what does he know about us? Well, as a private detective, I've learned a great deal about you both. And as a private detective, I recommended that Joe be made head of employee relations of all Merrick Enterprises. What? Yes. And as J.P. Merrick, I'm ready to accept my recommendation. Uh, as who? J.P. Merrick. J.P. Merrick? You, J.P. Merrick? The devil himself. Well, what do you say, Joe? Will you take the job? Oh, he certainly will, Mr. Merrick. Now he has no excuse for not marrying me. Well, Joe? Well, what can I do? I'm between the devil and Miss Jones. Thank you, Lorraine Day, Charles Coburn, and George Murphy for your fine performances with the Lady Esther Screen Guild players tonight. It was our pleasure to be here, Mr. Bradley. We're all a part of the motion picture industry, and so we know how important the motion picture relief fund is. Also that the relief fund receives the benefits from this series of programs. <laughs> Next week, the Lady Esther Screen Guild players will present a rollicking farce comedy, Love is News, starring lovely Anne Sheridan and Jack Benny. 
Be sure to listen. Lorraine Day appears through the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer Pictures. Miss Day can soon be seen in the RKO production, Mr. Lucky. Charles Coburn is now playing in the Columbia picture, The More the Merrier. George Murphy can currently be seen in the Metro-Golden-Mayer picture, Batan. Music on tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. To save materials, buy the larger size of Lady Esther face cream. Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther, saying thank you. And good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Richard Diamond next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Richard Diamond and the Jacoby case. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Diamond Detective Agency, the Smiling Gumshoe. Rick. Sign up for our new contest and win yourself a beautiful all-chrome, pre-tested, genuine electric chair. Oh, lovely. What do I have to do? Just tear off your scalp and send it along with 25 words or less why you love Richard Diamond. I can do it in two words. What are they? You're pretty. Oh, you win, you win. Where do you want the chair sent, madam? 975 Park Avenue, but I think I have AC current. No problem with the Jiffy Toaster chair. It works on any current AC-DC. And we have it in three speeds, 45, 78, and long playing. Oh, no. Oh, Rick, that's awful. Hello, baby. Hi. What are you doing? No, nothing. What's with you? Oh, I just thought I'd call and find out if I'm still going to see you tonight. Yes, ma'am. We gonna stay in? Oh, well, I thought I'd have Francis fix dinner and we could sit around and listen to records or something, but if you'd rather go out, I... No, 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 baby. I think that would be lovely. And so does my bank account. Oh, broke again? Not quite. A little bent. I hope the next client I get has a big, fat trust fund. Well, don't you worry about it. I'll see you around eight. Okay. Bye, baby. Bye. Oh, uh, now let's see. Six shirts, four pairs of socks, and... Hey, how did that get in there? Well. Oh. Okay, okay. Yeah? Well, what's the matter with you? You lost up my laundry. What are you talking about? Today isn't Tuesday. Okay, Walt, so it isn't Tuesday. Nothing's happening around this place. I felt like doing some washing. Why don't you put it away and come on down here? I'll give you something to do. What do you mean? You sound like you're surrounded by Sergeant Otis's relatives. I got a big headache. I think maybe you can help me with it. Trouble? All over the place. You don't have to, but I'd like to, well, sort of kick it around with you. Sure, sure, sure. I'll throw a few more things in the soak and I'll be right down. Oh, thanks, Rick. Hey, it's really serious, isn't it? Now, what makes you say that? Look, Father... Every time your ulcers hold a rally and you want me to come down and join in, you say, thanks, Rick, just like I'd laid an egg or something for you. Oh, you think you're pretty smart, don't you? Sure. 
I listen to everybody who thinks I'm not, I'd wind up playing mumbly peg in a straitjacket. I'll be right over. Well, that's the way trouble can get in the way of an otherwise quiet afternoon. Walt doesn't usually call me like that, but when he does, I know things are bound to get pretty rough. I tossed all of my shirts into soap, closed up the office. Twenty minutes later, I was walking into the squad room of the 5th Precinct Police Station. I spotted Sergeant Otis hopping around like a crapshooter on his 10th pass. Well, what's with you, Otis? Uh, oh, don't bother me now, Shamus. I gotta get these reports into Lieutenant. Well, well, get you. What's the matter? Did you suddenly discover you were working for the police department? Uh, now, that's very funny. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, you gotta laugh. Now beat it. The lieutenant expects you. Well, all right. But for Pete's sakes, Otis, stop acting like that and don't bust into the lieutenant's office like that. You swear you've been doped and start an investigation. Shama, someday I ain't even gonna bother to answer you. Sergeant, the day you don't open your mouth to say something stupid, the whole world will start singing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And while I think about it, why don't you start combing your hair? What's the matter with it? Looks like a mattress after the lions got through with it. Oh, Hello, Walt. Hello, Rick. Sit down. Oh, maybe I should have worn black, hmm? That or a propeller on my hat. First, I run into Otis, acting like he was shot out of a cannon. Then I waltz in here and you give me that big hello like you just discovered a body in your desk. Land Jacoby is back in town. What? What? Yes. Oh, but, but we got an indictment on him. Got him deported six years ago. Look, Rick, there's no mistake. One of our stoolies brought us word. Oh, but that's crazy. Jacoby knows the feds will pick him up in a second. How'd he get back in? Who knows? Florida, maybe. Last we heard, he disappeared in Italy. And about six months later, we got a report he was seen in Cuba. Now, are you just going to take the stoolie's word for it? Uh, what else have you got? I got three bodies to date, and they're all very dead. Jacoby? It's got to be. Why? Well, the first two are the guys that turned state's evidence and helped to put Jacoby away. You remember them, Ross and Kreisel. Jacoby swore he'd get him someday. Who's the third? The stoolie who gave us the tip. Walked out of the station and... Somebody with a Thompson scattered them all over the front steps. Right in front of the station? Yeah, for being the evening papers. The commissioner is very unhappy. How about the feds? Are they working on it? Up to their necks, but nobody can find out how he got in or where he might be hiding out. Oh, here's something else that makes us sure it's Jacoby. In this town, there are at least five of Jacoby's old mob. The minute this thing broke, we started to check. They've all disappeared. You think they're organizing again? Oh, Walt, come on Rick, now. I don't know what to think. That's why I wanted you to come down. You're one of the guys who worked in the Jacoby case. You remember a lot about it. Well, sure, but... Oh, now you can't tell me Jacoby is going to try to start operating again. It's a one-way pass to that little green room up at Sing Sing. I know it, I know it, I know it, but you tell me. I don't know how to figure it. You can't find anybody else who's seen Jacoby. Hmm? No, just the stoolie. He's going to make a swell witness. Lieutenant. Yeah. Uh, we just got a report on the teletype. Jacoby? Uh, yeah. Florida reports the body of a man found out in the Biscayne Keys... Uh, they check and find out he was a Cuban. Uh, charter boats for fishing trips. And the immigration boys check with the authorities in Cuba, and it turns out that this dead guy took a party of two out for a trip and never now, showed wait a up minute, again. Wait a minute, you said a party of two? Yeah, a dame and a guy. Well, what makes you think the guy with the dame was Jacoby? Because the description fitted Jacoby exactly. And the feds say that Jacoby married a dame in Italy. And the dame that got on the boat fits the wife's description. Mm-hmm. Well, Rick? That's ridiculous. Okay. We now agree on two things. Leon Jacoby is back in the States, and it's ridiculous. Will you give me a hand? I need somebody who really knew Jacoby. Hey, Diamond, did you really know Jacoby? Sure, sure, Otis. We used to go out and shoot dumb police sergeants together. Oh, hey, Lieutenant. 
Why don't he ever give me a straight answer? Because it wouldn't fit your crooked head. Now go out and dig up some more reports. Okay. All right, Walt. Now let's let's say Jacoby's going to start operating again. He's made sure of one thing. Nobody who's seen him is alive enough to testify. So? So this. I'll eight to five, Jacoby's going to make a quick haul someplace and do one more killing. You expect the killing? I expect an attempt. He's gotten two of the guys who put him away. He's just got uh, one more guy to tag. He said he'd do it himself and with a knife. That means he's got to find you. Yeah. The haul must be really important for him to risk coming into the States. He probably needs money to keep going, so he'll pull off the job and then try to get me. And he'll leave the country the same way he came in. Nobody can ever swear they saw him. Except the five guys in his mob. I think he'll kill every one of them, too. That's a lot of doing. Jacoby's a lot of killer. Now, we've got to find out where at least one of those guys is. We'll find Jacoby and try and stop the slaughter. Yeah, but you've got to watch your step, Rick. There's no telling when he's going to pull off the job and try to go to work on you. Look, I'm not happy about it. I'm really the guy who's responsible for putting Jacoby away, and I know him pretty well. He's got a vendetta, Walt. Guys like Jacoby don't figure they're their brother's keeper. The score is two out of three is one to go. He'll try his best to kill me and even it up. Well, where do you say we start? Ah, uh, I don't know. Oh, give me a list of the five guys you think are with Jacoby and all the information on them you got. It is right here. All right. Put two of your best men on these three guys at the bottom of the list, and you and I will start with these two on top. Okay, but I hope we find Jacoby in time. Walt, so do I. The way he uses that knife, I'll have to have all my clothes made out of bandage. Walt assigned two of his best men to start checking on the three names at the bottom of the list, and we took off for Flatbush. Our first man was a hoodlum named George Vale, and one of his favorite hangouts was a pool hall on Church Avenue. Snooker or straight pool? We want to talk. You want to talk? Go over to the park. Get yourself a box. Oh, look, your wisecracks can only give you a hollow mouth. Show him the badge, Walt. Oh, cops. Well, what do you want? You know a man named George Vale? Nope. Let's go. Hey, wait a minute. Look, I'm not going to fool around. The answers here will be a lot easier. We know Vale comes here a lot. You don't want to tell us about him? The boys at the station have got time to help your memory along. You can't haul me in. What's the charge? Withholding police evidence. It can get you a couple of years. Let's go. Hey, wait a minute. Okay. Okay what? Oh, wait a minute. I just want to be sure no one sees me talking to you. Okay. I don't know much. Vale ain't been in here for a couple of days. Where does he live? I don't know. I swear I don't, but... I do know it's in the neighborhood. Sometimes I see him coming out of a little delicatessen across the street with a bundle of groceries. Let's go, all. Yeah. Oh, uh, thanks, sporty. It's guys like you who make the police department such a happy little group. So, good afternoon, gentlemen. You own this place? Yes, there's something wrong. Does a man named George Vale come in here much? Oh, something is wrong. I told Mama that George was on no good. Then he does come in here. You're a policeman, maybe. Yes, we're policemen. Now, would you mind telling us, please, if uh, whether... Mama! Mama, love. She must be out and back. I want to show her. She liked this George Philly. He was always with the factory. Now I want to show her what happens to that no good. Mama, love. Uh, please, please. We haven't got much time. Oh, I'm sorry, gentlemen. You must excuse an old man with so little excitement. So, now what can I do for you? Do you know where George Vale lives? Sure, sure. I'm sending him over stuff lots of times. He's up two blocks, but he ain't there. How do you know that? Because his wife, she's coming in for the last couple of days. Uh, she said he was out of town on business. He's got a wife? Sure, sure. A blonde. 
It's not bad looking. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is Bayo's exact address? Uh, here, I'll write for you on a piece of paper. What time do you got, Rick? Uh, 2.30. Yeah, there are gentlemen. I hope you catch him for whatever he's done that's no good. Uh, we'll have to ask you not to mention this to anybody. Not even to Mama. Oh, okay, to Mama. But you tell Mama to keep it a secret. Oh, oh, a secret. Well, maybe I'm not telling you for a couple of days yet. Come on, Walt. We going down to see Vale's wife? No, I got a better idea. Don't you think she'd know where Vale is? Maybe, but she's not going to tell us. But if we throw a scare into her, she might tell her husband something. If she knows where he is. Get Otis down here with a recording outfit. We'll wait until we see her leave the apartment and bug the place. No sense in tailing her. If Vale is with Jacoby, he wouldn't give her the address. Maybe he didn't tell her anything. Maybe he just took off. Eh, that's a chance we got to take. Maybe uh, he gave her a phone number where he could be reached. On the way down to the Vale address, put in a call at the precinct. Right. KXKB to KQAR. I'm at the corner of Flatbush and Church. Have Sergeant Otis report to me on a code three and tell him to step on it. Walt finished his report. We both went over and talked with the landlady in Vale's building. She told us that Mrs. Vale was still in her room and gave us an accurate description. Also, she agreed to pull down her window shade when Mrs. Vale left the building so that there wouldn't be a chance of missing her. Then we went back to the car to wait. In about 15 minutes, Otis showed up carrying a small portable recorder. Yeah, here you are, Lieutenant. All right, get yeah. in the back seat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to wire somebody's apartment? No, I just thought it might be fun to play cops and robbers. Yeah. Now relax, we might be here for quite a while. Uh, not so long, Walt. Look, hmm? there goes the landlady's signal. Yeah. Mrs. Vale should be. There she comes. Yeah. Otis, get set. Hmm? We got to go up there and plant a bug before she comes back. I'm set. We got four cars at the intersections just in case she's got a car. If she walks, I got four men to tailor depending on her direction. Yeah, she's crossing the street. KXKB to KQAR. Car 79314. Stand by. Rick, you notice, get up there with a the bug. Right. Come on, Otis. Yeah. Right with you. Attention. The suspect is turning into Church Avenue. Heading for New Life. In here, Otis. Yeah. Well, this is her room. The landlady said she'd unlock it for us as soon as Mrs. Vale left the building. Bingo. Go on in. Okay, okay. Now, plant it just like you knew what you were doing, Sergeant. I'll take the box down in the basement where we can listen. Give me five minutes and then give me a quick test. Ooh, how long have I got to set it up? Who knows? Don't worry about it too much. If Mrs. Vale comes in, just tell her you're selling tape recorders. Oh, she won't believe that. Otis, with your face, you'll have to believe something as stupid as that. I dropped the wire out of the window and went out and down into the basement. It was a slipshod way of wiring a room, but we were in a hurry and it would have to be enough. I set it up and waited for Otis to start croaking. Okay, Diamond, I'll start counting. One, two, three, four, five... Uh, Six. Hey, I'm going to hear something coming. I'm going out the window. I'll see you in the basement. Oh, for Pete's sake. Gee, she nearly caught me. 
I'll come down the fire escape. Hey, come on in. Yeah. Hey, how's it working? All right. Listen. Hey, she ain't got a bad voice. You probably got me plugged in with Morton Downey. What are we going to do? Just sit here and listen? The lieutenant's going to give Mrs. Vale a scare orders. Then we're going to listen. Mm, I don't get it. Shh. That's Walt. Who's there? The police, Mrs. Vale. Huh? Oh, well, wait just a minute. Hey, it sounds pretty good, Don. Oh, shut up, Otis. Yeah? I'm looking for your husband, Mrs. Vale. He isn't here. He's out of town. What's wrong? He's wanted. For what? Murder. Mind if I come in? Got a warrant? Okay, make it tough. Where's your husband? I told you. Well, we're out of town. He didn't tell me. Now we'll see if it works. Hello, operator. Evergreen 3349 and talk to George. I'll check the number. You start driving north, so we'll be in the general exchange area. KXKB calling KQAR code 600. We headed across town while Walt put in a code to the precinct. In less time than it takes Sergeant Otis to say, oh yeah, we had our address. Well, wouldn't you know it, another pool hall. Yeah, guy must like the game. Hope he's in. Pretty crowded, I don't... Oh, yeah. yeah. There he is. He sees us. He's going for the back door. Let's grab him. Right. Hey, let me go. Take your right. hands off me, Joe. You're busting my arm. Just take it easy, Vale. All we want to do is talk to you. Come on, outside. Hey, okay. Go on, Vale. In the car. Quit shoving. I'm going. Walt, okay. Now, Rick. Where did that shot come from? Got Vale in the chest. Yeah, across the street. Stay down. Yeah, look. Look, Vale, you're not going anyplace now. We know you're working for Jacoby, and we know he's close. The guy who just shot you is working for Jacoby, too. You're not going to cover up for a louse who just fingered you, are you? Jacoby's looking for you, too, Diamond. He's going to cut you up bad. Where's the hideout, Vale? I'm going to put in an 800 on this, Rick. I want this whole area surrounded. Come on, Vale. Where's Jacoby? Four, fifty... Ah. Uh... Vale. No, swell. Repeat, code 800 from Central Park West to 10th, from 59th Street to 64th Street, KXKC, now at Pool Hall, 9th Avenue, 60th Street. Okay, Rick, what's with Vale? Yeah, nothing. Dead? Yeah. Give me half of Jacoba's address, 455, and then made the trip. 455? Well, come on, there can't be too many 455s within walking distance. What about Vale? Yeah, I'll call him for the wagon. Go ahead, I'll... 
I'll start checking apartment numbers. Now, you wait a minute. You better take it easy. Jacoby would like nothing better than to have you go knocking on his front door. If I know Jacoby, Walt, he's got the radio on and he knows just what you're doing. Besides, that finger man will tell him about Vale. Somebody's got to find him before he makes a break. He's done enough killing. Well, if you do run into something, you wait for the boys. Walt. Yeah? Bye. I took off and started checking addresses that began with 455. The first was cold turkey, nothing but a married couple who looked like they were in training for Madison Square Garden. I moved on. Somewhere in that neighborhood, Leon Jacoby was listening to his radio. Car 3, code 800, 455 to 61st Street. Car 16, 17, and 18. Shut it off, James. But Leon, Avenue, same it's around this whole area. Shut it off. All right. All right. I wish the boys would get back. All right, take it easy. Take it easy. Yeah, who is it? Eddie, boss. Okay. Boss, the cops... Come in, come in, come in. Two cops picked up Vale in the pool hall. Oh, so that's what it's all about. Let Vale talk. No, he, he won't. What do you mean? Well, I waited across the street. Got Vale when he came out with the two pigs. Oh, you did, huh? <laughs> well, well, you did me a favor, Ed. When I figured you didn't want anybody around, it would might squeal. You know, Vale, wife and everything. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know what else you did, Ed? What? Well, no, what? When you plugged Vale, you brought the whole New York police force right down on my neck. Huh? Yeah. So I... <laughs> I gotta return the favor. Well, what do you mean? I, I I just didn't think. No, you didn't. Leon, come on. We gotta get out of here. Will you shut up? Hey, now wait a minute. What's with you? I got a present for you, Ed. Huh? Leon. Huh? No, 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 boss. Put that knife away. Sure. Oh, hey. oh. Oh. oh, Leon. Oh no, no. What's the matter with you? What did you do that for? I'm in a tough spot. I go faster alone, baby. Alone? Yeah, baby. You mean... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You'd leave me. Look, I got no choice. You know how it is, kid. One might get through, but two, no chance. Hey, nothing to say, baby? Yeah. Go on, get out. Just like that, huh? Then what would happen to you? You might help the, kip, uh, the cops find me, huh? Ellie, aren't you a little scared? No. Just sick. I've been sick since we got here. I wish I'd known what you were really like. I'd have laughed at you when you asked me to marry you. Oh? Well, go on, baby. Laugh now. Maybe it'll help. Well, go on. Laugh your head off. Isn't that nothing funny? <laughs> you try not to act scared. Jacoby don't scare you none, huh? <laughs> now I laugh. You're scared plenty because you think I might kill you. Well, I'd say something. Don't just stand there. You're scared. You gotta be scared. Everybody's scared of Jacoby. Yeah. You slapped Jacoby. Okay, baby. Nobody slapped Jacoby. Not you, not the cops, not anybody. Maybe you like to beg me not to kill you, huh? Yeah. Go ahead, go on, beg. Oh. Okay. I think about you when I'm back in Forensi, baby. <laughs> A 
I'll rip it there, Chief. Jacoby, hold it. What? Stop, Jacoby. Well, Jacoby had waited six years to get a crack at me, and it looked like he was going to finally get his chance. The alley was a dead end. I stopped and listened. The back of the alley was stacked with boxes and along the sides, garbage cans. He could have been hiding anywhere along the line. I'm coming in, Jacoby. You want to give it up or do you want to play? The block's surrounded. Okay, okay, I ain't got a gun. Come on out. All right. All right, only don't shoot, Diamond. Walk over here. Hey, you see, I ain't got a gun. I don't shoot, please. Shut up, slob, and start walking out. What you got to act like that for, huh, Diamond? Come on, Jacoby, move. What do you cops got against me? What'd I do, huh? Nothing, Jacoby. Not a thing. Start moving. Well, why you gotta get so tough? Whatever you're scared. Scared to death. Now, if you don't hurry up and move, I'm gonna shoot you full of holes I'm so scared. All right, Diamond, all right. I ain't got no gun, so you can push me around like that. What are you gonna do to me, huh? Why, not a thing. Haven't you heard? The city went out and bought you a yacht. They like the way you kill people, so they're going to give you the yacht and send you back to Italy. Now walk out of that alley. Okay, okay, okay. Now you dirt. Over here, Walt. Over here. He pulled his knife on you, huh? Yeah, I didn't think I'd see it. Well, you're lucky you're dead. Yeah, well, I expected it. It used to be an old saying six years ago. When Leon Jacoby wants you dead, he'll use a knife and you'll lose your head. Now, he should have remembered I keep up on slogans. That's an awful story. Well, you wanted me to tell you about it. But it's so terrible, and you're so lucky. Yeah, I guess so. You'll certainly know better next time. Oh, I'll never make the same mistake again. Oh, I should hope not. Imagine being in such a hurry you've forgotten through your socks in with all those lovely white shirts. Mm, plaid now, baby. The color run that much? Sweetheart, when I got back to the office, it looked like Picasso had been in my wash basin. My shirts are ruined. Well, don't you fret. Mommy's going to buy little old Rick a whole new batch tomorrow. Oh, no, no, no. Really, I couldn't. Uh, it's just against my principles to take anything from a woman. It is, huh? Uh, definitely. What's that song you're playing? 16 neck, 33 sleeve. What? <laughs> oh, you oh. idiot. <laughs> oh, I bet. I dropped a real hint. Well, I'll drop a little old hint, too. Very subtly, of course. Sing. Oh, baby, you're the subtlest. Climb aboard a butterfly and take off on the breeze. Let your worries flutter by and do the things you please. In the land where dollar bills are falling off the trees. On a dreamer's holiday. Every day for breakfast there's a dish of scrambled stars. And for luncheon, you'll be munching rainbow candy bars. You'll be living a la mode on Jupiter or Mars on a dreamer's holiday. 
Make it a long vacation Time there is plenty of You need no reservation Just bring along the one that you love Help yourself to happiness And sprinkle it with mirth Close your eyes and concentrate and dream for all your worth. You will feel terrific when you get back down to earth from a dreamer's holiday. How is that, honey? Huh? Baby, you're the craziest. What? Where did you pick up that expression? Oh, I get around now and then. I know a couple of musicians. Oh, I bet they all play lead kazoo. Come here. What do you want? Well, I'll lay one on you. What? Oh. What do you think of that, Pops? You want the honest truth? Uh-huh. Mm, solid. You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Helen was played by Virginia Gregg. Lieutenant Levinson by Ed Begley. Also in our cast were Wilms Herbert, David Ellis, Gene Bates, Edmund McDonald, and Charles McGraw. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. Richard Diamond is written and directed by Blake Edwards. Dick Powell soon will be seen in the screen version of the best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. Now, this is Eddie King inviting you to be with us again at the same time next week when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Aldridge family, followed by Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support, the executive producer of Theater of the Mind, is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.